You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello, and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Here in the studio with Neil, and we have uh, Matt in the uh, D.C. Baltimore area. The DMV, as Matt mm-hmm. like to calls it. Is that what it's called? I like to call it. I came up with that. It's yeah, true. you did. The, uh, what, what does that stand for? The uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area? Yeah, I believe that is that is uh, what I came up with when I invented that. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, of uh, the DMV where you go and sometimes your your soul dies a little bit at the DMV, where, where it doesn't die is at the dinner table because we have a nice spread here. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> <laughs> we have a nice uh, Thanksgiving spread yeah. here because uh, this is the episode that's going to release right before Thanksgiving. Yes, and of course, mm-hmm. it is still early October, yep. so our table is set and our food will uh, rot on the table. Thanksgiving at the DMV sounds terrible. You wait in line for two hours and find out it wasn't the stuffing line, it's it the is... cranberry line, and they send you over there for the stuffing. Cranberry sauce. All the candied candied yams are gone. <laughs> so I think we talked about this a little bit on uh, our famous crop drops. But uh, yeah. what, what do you like from Thanksgiving? What do you dislike? Uh, what do I like from Thanksgiving? Um, I love uh, you know any sort of potato is good with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have uh, you know the turkey is good. I, I like putting a lot of gravy on it because I don't like dry turkey. I don't think anyone does. Mm-hmm. I just want to I just want to eat the olives before dinner. That's what I want. Olives. Is that something you eat before no, dinner? No, like a relish tray. Yeah. Olives, oh, you like a, something you can like nibble at or yeah. whatever. Matt? Uh, Sahara dry turkey. Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> Is that a turkey from the Sahara desert that you find? And it's the, it's it's the moistest pre-dry. turkey. Actually. It's pre-dry <laughs> and then you cook it in the oven and it becomes even drier. Have you ever had a deep fried turkey though? I will say that was really good one year. No, I haven't. It was it's like 12 fine. years ago. It's not worth it. It could explode. Everyone that's true. It is that. dangerous. So don't do, don't do that at home, kids. But uh, we got do a great game today. Else's home. Yeah, we do have a great game today, and, and as, as we like to say here, Triviality is the deep-fried turkey of podcasts, because it could explode at any time, but if, if you get it, it's usually really tasty. So um, we have some wonderful guests to join us today. Uh, our first guest is going to be uh, a competitor. Uh, she's going to partner with Matt today, coming to us from Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, Maggie Ainsley. How are you, Maggie? I'm good, thanks. Glad to be here. So nice to have you here, and um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to in Pennsylvania. So I've got uh, two boys, they're 17 and 20, and I work as a hospital chaplain. And I have a really long commute, which is how I discovered all these great trivia podcasts. Well, we're excited that you've been listening to our podcast and, and got into it. And it's so nice to have you here uh, as, a, as a listener and a, as a contestant today. And uh, boys 17 and 20, uh, how's that been? Has that been stressful at all or are they, are they good guys? They're really good guys. And one of the best things to come out of the pandemic was their relationship with each other. So they're... They're really good, really good kids. That was was very wholesome. Yeah, and if they need help starting a podcast, uh, Pennsylvania Brothers, uh, we'll give them some give them some help. Nice. Well, thank you for being here, and uh, you're going to be partnering with Matt today, and uh, you have a trivia team name that you use for games. So, what's that name? And then Matt, I think you had a little bit of a alteration to that name. So I got written in in a local election by my husband, who dislikes um, uncontested contests on ballots. So I'm now a minority inspector of, ele- of elections uh, via being a write-in candidate. So my usual team name in pub trivia is write-in candidates. Yeah, and we are uh, you are going to be a, uh, a mix-em-up uh, pun name, uh, which would make more sense if you said yours first. But we're going to be the write-in Manchurian candidates. What was All your right. team name? 
Well, uh, like we said, it's early October, so all the horror movies are coming out. We're kind of looking forward to uh, seeing Exorcist Believer. It's always nice to see some horror movies around Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, Made by uh, Danny McBride, right? Yeah, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green. So we're going to be Pineapple Expressorcist. Yep, the Pineapple Expressorcist. But we need a host uh, to play this game. We're super excited to have an Oakland Five supporter from Turlock, California with us today. Uh, hosting the game, writing the game, all that good stuff. Pete Lorenz, how are you, Pete? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Of course, um, yeah. Thank you for, for being here. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so I live in Turlock, California. I work for the local, local utility company here. I'm originally from Maryland. I did grad school at Clemson in South Carolina, worked for a couple years in Arkansas, and then my wife got a great job out here uh, in the Central Valley of California. And so we moved out here in 2019, um, got married in 2020, the weekend before the pandemic. Ooh, oh, just wow. Stuck it in. We know that feeling, Pete. Uh, we did a, a big meetup before Geek Bowl 2020 and then the pandemic hit. So uh, a lot of big celebrations and all of a sudden everything shut down. So hopefully uh, you, you got to make it up with a honeymoon maybe later on with your wife. Oh, yeah. And actually, uh, that, that whole incident gets referenced in one of the questions. So we will, oh. uh, we'll see a little bit about that. Well, little teaser there from Pete. So Pete wrote the game, and uh, we're going to hear the rules so we can get going. So let's go to the rules read and see who happens to be behind door number one. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager zero to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. Wow, what a surprise. It was a surprise. Someone I did not expect out of all mm-hmm. the rules. Mostly Darren, because if I don't know ahead of time who's reading the rules, <laughs> I just throw Darren in there. So, yeah, I don't I don't, uh, I don't, don't like to load in all my uh, files later. I like to have all my files ready to go. So probably Darren. Yeah, probably Darren. Well, thank uh, but you, great probably job. Darren. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so it looks like it's going to be team the right in Manchurian candidates versus the pineapple expressor cyst. Pete, take it away. We're ready to go. All right, so I am a huge sports trivia buff, but most of that has been relegated to the non-regulation rounds, and even those aren't all strictly sports trivia, just a way for me to get some nuggets in there. The rest of the quiz is basic broad trivia with a few hints and patterns scattered throughout. Oh, so I, I just I'll saw go. Matt go through uh, many stages <laughs> of uh, interest. It was and... a lot of fun. I was looking straight at him. And... Yeah. Well, that's yeah. okay. I look forward to the nuggets questions. All right. (laughs) All right. So round one, question one in the category of gaming and television. The video game Baldur's Gate 3 has been a smash hit across multiple platforms. The game opens with your character confronting a monster that is also encountered in season three of what hit streaming series? Yep. I would assume that you are correct, Neil. And let's uh, go ahead and lock in. So Matt, I have no idea. If I was playing by myself, I'd say Stranger Things, just because I don't know any other mm-hmm. streaming series that might involve a monster in a video game. But I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know if this is referring to uh, House of Cards, but probably not. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would also guess Stranger Things. So we can we can lock that, it with Stranger that's Things. That's a good joke on multiple levels, Matt. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we said Stranger Things as well. Uh, I know they play D and D in Stranger Things, and Baldur's Gate is a D and D property. So, Stranger Things. Yep, and that is exactly the logic right there. Baldur's Gate Three is based on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it starts with an encounter with a Mind Flayer, which was the primary antagonist in season three of Stranger Things. Cool. It's points all around. You don't want to start with an encounter from a mind flare. Your uh, party's pretty uh, effed in that case. <laughs> yeah. You usually want to work your way up from orc or something yeah, like yeah. that. Start with a cobalt and then work your way up to mind flare. Oh, for sure. They had to make it a kind of good mind flare in Baldur's Gate because, you know, otherwise. It's you not, know, it, was Matt, a, it was a baby mind flare. It's not <laughs> Ma- Matt's favorite mind flare, uh, which is a Ric Flair monster. Chris Angel's mind freak. Shows up at the beginning. That would be the the worst D and D monster you could face for sure. <laughs> Watching a Chris Angel for two hours. Okay. 
All right, question two in history. Arthur Rostron was awarded the Congressional Gold Medal and Knight Commander of the Order of the British Empire for his heroic and decisive efforts in April of 1912 as the captain of what ship? Do you think this has something to do with the Titanic or is that too early? Uh, the Titanic, I believe, is 1909. I think it's earlier. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. So you were saying potentially that this might be the Titanic. And I tried to talk you out of it thinking that it was too early. But you might be right. It might be 1912. Um, uh, what heroic and decisive efforts did you think he took? I thought he I might know. have been the captain of one of the rescue ships. Oh, maybe. But I don't um, know. And my husband is going to be really angry with me because Titanic is like one of his hobbies. <laughs> and one of the things he loves most about it, he's going to be so mad he if I He watches it every day. He's a big Kate Winslet fan. <laughs> no, no, no. About it hist in history. The actual history, yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. the only thing that I could come up with. I don't know if you had a... a well, no, I can't that. think of any other boats right now. Um, so I, I'm good with Titanic. We can lock in with that. So like your husband, um, you know, Celine Dion taught me everything I know about Titanic. And in her song, My Heart Will Go On, I believe she she very, you know, in detail talks about uh, the captain of the Carpathia who helps save all the the uh, people in the water from the Titanic. So we said Carpathia. Except for Jack. Except for Jack, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't save him. I might have missed that verse in the song, but yeah, that's <laughs> right. Uh, it, it is the Carpathia. He was the captain of the ship that rescued... Uh, Many, many people from the lifeboats on the Titanic. All right, question number three. In music, what Simon and Garfunkel single, the title track on their final album together, did Billboard magazine call a beautiful, almost religious-oriented ballad? So we both had uh, different guesses on this one, um, but uh, Neil's reasoning was sound, so we're going to go with his answer. So All Matt, right. I... I'm thinking oh, it's Bridge it. Over Troubled Water, but I don't know if that was their last album, but that's the most sort of ballad, religious-oriented ballad that I can think of. Yeah, and I feel like that's probably their most recognized song. It, he said it was the, t the song was the title of the album, right? Yeah. Okay, because The Boxer is also off that album. That's a really popular album uh, or popular song too, but um, I'm pretty sure that Bridge Over Troubled Water is correct, so we can lock in with that. Yeah, not a lot of people know that this song is actually about playing a card game on a boat. But uh, mm. what did we say? Well, I know that your favorite artist of all time is Clay Aiken from American Idol, who did True. a beautiful rendition of this song. Uh, and we, we agree. We think it's Bridge Over Troubled Water. And everyone's right. Their last album together was Bridge Over Troubled Water. Okay. Question four in art history. What Dutch artist was known for his use of expensive pigments? especially the blue ultramarine, which might partially explain why he died in debt in 1675. All these famous artists and composers, they always die in debt too. And then, of course, now we're listening to all their stuff over and over again. And uh, Ken, you just wrote down what I would have guessed, and I, I'm good with it. All right. All right. Uh, thinking of through all the Dutch boy paints, uh, ultramarine, <laughs> I don't recall. Um, what, how many Dutch painters do you know? I'm, well, is it Vermeer or is he later uh, than that? Vermeer, um, that would make sense. Uh, girl with the pearl earring, uh, big blue headband blue. on that painting. Yeah. Um, and I can't think of any other Dutch painters right now. So do you, do you want to go with Vermeer? I mean, cause it wouldn't be Rembrandt. He didn't use a lot of blue. And he, I think, no. is earlier. Mm -hmm. But I could be wrong. I mean, I can almost talk myself in or out of anything. But Oh, I I mean, we always go between Rembrandt and Vermeer, and I always pick the wrong one. Um, but this time I feel pretty confident with Vermeer just because based on what I, I've seen of his works, it's very blue. Yeah. Let's go with that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, when asked the question, uh, what Dutch artists uh, we check the year and if it's more modern we say van gogh and if it's uh, less modern we say vermeer so we said vermeer all right i was real happy to hear that conversation between maggie and matt because the the clues about the blue were exactly what i i was hoping you'd get to differentiate 
Rembrandt and Vermeer. It is Vermeer. So well done. Man, how do you feel Vermeer would have enjoyed Eiffel 65's blue? Um, I don't know if he could have afforded it based on... <laughs> That's true. It's a lot of blue. Very expensive. I see our future. It's going to be what American podcaster known for their use of jokes <laughs> <laughs> might partially explain why they died in debt. <laughs> Question five in U.S. geography. Two widely accepted methods for measuring coastline length come from the Congressional Research Service and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the NOAA. Using either method, Alaska has the longest coastline by a long shot. What state has the largest ratio of coastline to total land area in feet over miles squared? The two methods produce two different lists. So either list topper is acceptable, but you'll get five bonus points if you can name both. All right. Uh, it's a lot of uh, math and geography, but uh, we think the question is relatively simple if you think about it. Uh, we may be right, maybe wrong, but we're gonna lock in. Well, I'm wondering about Hawaii, since oh, that's all coastline to not that much land, if yeah. that's what I'm understanding. Especially a lot of the islands are pretty long and and mostly coastline. Yeah. Um, I think Hawaii is a good answer as our main answer. I was also thinking Florida. Um, uh -huh. That was Florida's the other one I was thinking of too. Yeah, it's a majority coastline, and it's not really that uh, thick in the middle, um, unlike us podcasters as we grow older. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm I'm good locking in with Hawaii and Florida, if you are. Yeah, me too. All right. Our first answer was Hawaii, and then for the bonus, we're going to go with the uh, teeny tiny state of Rhode Island, not an island. Ah. Uh, both of you got Hawaii correct. Uh, that is, uh, the, the CRS uses a less granular measure of coastline and using that measurement, Hawaii really gets a lot of credit for having almost all of its land have coastline. Um, Florida and Rhode Island were near the top of the other list, but uh, topping that list with all its little nooks and crannies on the more granular measurement is my home state of Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chesapeake Bay really carves out a lot of uh, coastline there. I think Rhode Island was actually second on both lists. Mm. So that was a, a, a bit of a tough. I don't know. I live in Maryland. I've never point. seen a coastline. <laughs> Anecdotally, that is incorrect. <laughs> well, both teams doing pretty well in the game so far. Looks like our team has 50 points over here. And the uh, right in Manchurian candidates have 40 points. All right. We'll move on to question six. In modern literature... What contemporary author is known for finishing The Wheel of Time, as well as his own Cosmere universe, home to such fantasy series as Mistborn and the Stormlight Archives? We're going to lock in. Oh, wow. I had no idea on this one. I this guy no pumps out books like... Uh, is this the Mark Twain? Uh... He's, the, he's the Mark Twain of fantasy. Hmm. I want my fantasies to have Mark Twain in them, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Your Mark Twain fantasy. He's a big fan of mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's Val Kilmer's Mark Twain, though. All right. Um, I have no so they, idea. Oh, dang. Uh, I also have no idea. I, I know that The Wheel of Time is a TV show on, on uh, I think, maybe Amazon. I don't know. There's like So somewhere. you're going to say Roseman Pike? Yeah, I again, I have no idea. Um, I also, literature and authors is not my forte. Um, and you have nothing, right? I, I'm not a fantasy person recently. You know, so okay. it's not... It's not George R. R. Martin, probably. Yeah. No, if not, it's not the stuff I read as a kid, like Myths of yeah. Avalon, I don't know. <laughs> He's not pumping out any books. Yeah. Um, so you want to go with a, a James Patterson? He makes he writes lots of books. Well, yeah, although that none of them are fantasy. Well, maybe this one was. Maybe. All right, sure. I got Mr. nothing Patterson. better. Yeah, I got we got nothing, nothing better. You're going with a Patterson, and we're going to go with a Sanderson. Yeah, it's Brandon Sanderson. He uh, finished Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series after Jordan passed away, and Sanderson is uh, known for... The Mistborn series, the Stormlight Archives, and several others in his own right. 
Yeah, I got to learn yeah, that and, name. And, he comes up a lot. And like you said, very prolific in terms of uh, volume of work. Is his most famous series taking over for someone else, or he has his own stuff? His own I stuff, would say, but... I, yeah, I would say it sort of depends on what direction you're coming from, because Wheel of Time was so well known. Mm. But at this point, uh, some of his series are are really well respected. So he's the, the Sammy Hagar of fiction, or I don't think that works. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Question seven in pop culture. The progenitor of motivational posters featured what animal clinging to a pole along with the caption, hang in there, baby. Its twin didn't make it onto the poster. I think we're locked in, right? Yep, I agree. Yeah, it's definitely a cat. Yeah, and that poster came out in the 70s, so persistent or not, that cat is long dead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a Simpsons joke. Uh, Yeah, we can lock him with cat. Yeah, it's a little kitty cat. (laughs) Yes, and the the hint at the end about the twin, it was specifically a Siamese cat, but I was really just looking for cat, so excellent. All right, uh, number eight in recent events. In March 2020, some of the earliest confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. were found in Seattle, Los Angeles, and in what small Georgia town where yours truly got married that weekend? No, it's not Athens or Cairo, though those are towns in Georgia. All right. Uh, we think we, we're, we're getting what Pete's putting down, but uh, we don't know it for sure. We're going to take a guess, and hopefully we'll be right. All right. They have a guess. Um, what's your knowledge on small Georgian towns? The only place in Georgia I've been to is Savannah, but... I wonder with the Athens and Cairo, isn't isn't there a Rome, Georgia? Um, I believe there is. Uh, there's a there's a lot of Romes in the U.S. We we just love to name our cities after uh, European cities. So I I I'm okay with that. I was gonna say Savannah just based on it's a place that a lot of people get married. Uh, I feel true. like it's one of those little you know quiet destination. Towns. Yeah, but um. I think I think you're right. I think let's go with Rome. I think it's a good guess. We had a very similar conversation, and um, we knew Savannah was popular, but we figured, you know, uh, what better for a town to do than name itself after a gigantic historical town? Uh, so we said Rome as well. You guys picked up on the hint and nailed it. It was Rome, Georgia. Yeah, uh, I was set to get married that day, and the news came in, they were naming these big cities, and then someone said, Rome, Georgia, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, but it went off without a hitch, and then the world fall apart, fell apart while we were sipping wine on our honeymoon in Napa. Yeah. So, well, when in Rome, right? That's, that's what they so say. not a lot of people know this, but um, the philosopher Lou Bega in his song, <laughs> I've Got a Girlfriend Everywhere, had a girl in Rome, and he actually meant Rome, Georgia. He didn't mean the Aha. Rome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And if just like the TV show, Rome, if you go to Rome, Georgia, everyone's just naked. <laughs> I can verify that that is not the case. <laughs> it's just Jim Rome naked in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a, that's a new clue card, right? It was Jim Rome naked in Rome, Georgia. All right. Number nine, the periodic table. Which chemical element directly underneath carbon on the table has been speculated by astrobiologists to be an alternative base element for life. Here on Earth, it'd be more likely to serve as the basis for an artificially intelligent being. All right, we don't have a very good read on this. I know approximately where in the table this would be, um, but I'm not, our answer, I'm not sure what the number is. So we're just gonna take a stab. All right, so they have a guess. Do we have a guess? I'm not a huge periodic table person, but based on the rest of the question, isn't it silicon? Because Um, of silicon Silicon Valley Valley and artificial intelligence. And and I think I've heard people talk about silicon-based life. That is a really good guess. I'm pretty sure that's SI and that's in that general vicinity of 
where carbon's at. So I think I think that's a really good guess. So I, I'm pretty confident locking in with that. Good guess. I'm pretty sure uh, carbon is eight. So we we're trying to think of something in the teens. But again, I'm not sure where our guess lies on the chart. But we just said iron. Yeah, Maggie, you knocked it out of the park on that one. Uh, the idea was uh, the artificially intelligent being here on Earth might be based in computers, so it is silicon. And yeah, because it has so many similarities chemically with carbon, that is the one speculated to be an alternative base for a life form. Nice job. Great reasoning, Maggie. That was great. <laughs> Way to carry me, Maggie. <laughs> All right, and question number 10, the final question of round one in Hobbies and Passion Projects. NaNoWriMo is a worldwide event that takes place during the month of November. What does it stand for? Hint, the no doesn't stand for November. We can lock in. And it should be noted that the in NaNoWriMo, the rye is spelled with a W, so W-R-I. All right, so they're locked in. I think we could parse together some of this. Do you have any initial thoughts? I have had friends that have participated in this, but I don't know how what each of the parts are. I know it's national and then something about Writers Month, but I don't know what the no means. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it uh, like nonfiction, uh, national... Well, since Neil locked in so quickly, you know it's not No Shave November. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never have anything to shave. So, yeah, no, definitely don't go that way. All right. So we, we have a general idea about national and writing and month, and we had a long discussion about the N-O uh, before I just said novel. And it's like, hey, that starts with N-O. Uh, so we're going with National Novel Writing Month. Yeah, so close. Um, I think, you know, your love of Pokemon may have hurt you there with the NaNoWriMo Pokemon, uh, but it's actually, no, you're right. It's National Novel Writing Month, so we, we locked in with the same. <laughs> oh, man, you scared me there, Neil. <laughs> I just evolved my NaNoWriMo, actually. Yeah, with the buzzer-beating shot, uh, it is National Novel Writing Month. Well, it looks like both teams are doing pretty well in this game so far. Uh, our team, Pineapple Ex. Expressorcist. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and the uh, right in Manchurian candidates uh, with 80, and we have 90. Yeah, and uh, we wanted to take a quick moment to thank all of our patrons for helping make the show possible, helping make all of our bonuses possible. If you'd like to go to Patreon to help support the show, you get some some of the newest episodes ad-free. Um, you get the, those episodes even a little bit earlier than normal, and you get two bonus audio episodes a month, the Crop Drop and a Patreon bonus. You can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast, and uh, the patrons are also allowing us to do our Blood Sports series, which we're uh, in the middle of right now, and actually next week on the 24th, the final Blood Sports series will begin uh, on Friday the 24th, which will be uh, eight competitors uh, from different parts of the world trying to find out who will reign supreme and be the Bloodsport champion for season three. So thank you to all of our patrons for making that possible. And uh, you can join all of them at patreon.com slash Triviality Podcast. Pete, uh, what do you have in store for us today for the swing round? All right. You are going to have to indulge me on this one. This is before and after American Pro Sports Teams edition. Mm. So... Each clue will consist of a reference to a pro sports team in North America, as well as a reference to something not at all related to sports, but which references the team's location. So for example, a rock band made up of stinging insects who got famous for their hit single, Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous, would give you the answer, Good Charlotte Hornets. Good Charlotte being the band that cool. wrote that song and performed it, and Charlotte Hornets being the reference to the stinging insects Did and the North get American that one, Matt? sports team. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Number one, a long-running FX comedy that might have an episode entitled The Gang Signs the Declaration of Independence. Number two, a 2002 Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio film about groups of renegade behemoths. Number three, a 1993 rom-com in which Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan struggle to battle insomnia and a sea monster of Scandinavian legend. Number four, an airplane that made a famous flight across the Atlantic alongside a flock of little red birds. Number five, 
1939 film featuring Jimmy Stewart traveling across the country to learn about casting magical spells. Number six, Tracy Turnblad sings a musical opener about her state bird. Number seven, a Grammy-winning 1968 single in which Dionne Warwick asks how to locate deep-sea predators. Number eight, Will Smith offers a warm greeting to Santiago's rival in The Old Man in the Sea. Number nine, a sitcom about a radio program that focuses on a big cat native to the Indian subcontinent. Number 10, a semi-autobiographical novel by Betty Smith about a plant sprouting from a basketball hoop. All right, we have uh, 10 great questions there, and we'll be back with, hopefully, 10 great answers. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or she, call the police. Or call the police, like she should have, exactly. <laughs> What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. All the answers are now locked in, so we're going to throw it back to Pete. And right before we do that, we just want to say thank you to everyone over at the Crop and Discord for playtesting and, and helping all of our hosts out with any suggestions or ideas. Uh, it's always uh, just a great thing for, for you to do that for all of our, our guest hosts, and we appreciate it. But if you'd like to just hang out and talk with other people who listen to Triviality, feel free to hang out in the Crop and Discord. Pete, uh, let's hear those clues one more time, and we will give you our before and afters. All right. So, number one, a long-running FX comedy that might have an episode entitled The Gang Signs the Declaration of Independence. All right, we're starting off with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 76ers. Uh, we agree, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, 76ers. All right, both of you got that one right? Mm-hmm. Number two, a 2002 Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio film about groups of renegade behemoths. We went with gangs of New York giants. Yeah, if all the behemoths were named Nick, it might be the New York Knicks, but we went gangs of New York giants. Yep, this one, uh, the brevity here fooled some people in playtesting, but not you guys, gangs of New York giants. Number three, a 1993 rom-com in which Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan Struggle to battle insomnia and a sea monster of Scandinavian legend. We said sleepless in Seattle Kraken. That's what we said too, sleepless in Seattle Kraken. Yep, one of the newest teams in North American pro sports are the Seattle Kraken in the NHL. All right, number four. 
an airplane that made a famous flight across the Atlantic alongside a flock of little red birds. We said the spirit of St. Louis Cardinals. Mm, worst fans in baseball, the spirit of St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, it's the spirit of St. Louis Cardinals. Not much spirit, according to you, Matt, and other Cubs fans. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Number five, a 1939 film featuring Jimmy Stewart traveling across the country to learn about casting magical spells. I always forget that's 39. You got Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, and Mr. Smith goes to Washington Wizards. Mm-hmm. Didn't go to Hogwarts. It's Mr. Smith goes to Washington Wizards. Yep. You guys have uh, nailed all five of them so far. Number six, Tracy Turnblad sings a musical opener about her state bird. This one is uh, one of uh, our favorite musicals, me and Colleen, and uh, it's from Hairspray. So I was we said, say, don't rope me into this. <laughs> it's from Hairspray. <laughs> we said, uh, good morning, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the only musical I've seen live outside of Colleen's productions uh, from Hairspray. Good morning, Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, it is. Uh, you could have been fooled because there is another bird team from Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens, but the state bird is the Orioles. Be cool if it was the Ravens. I would have been fooled because I literally said Orioles got it locked in and didn't even think about the Ravens. <laughs> yeah, nobody thinks about the Ravens. Anyway, number seven. A Grammy-winning 1968 single in which Dionne Warwick asks how to locate deep-sea predators. We said, do you know the way to San Jose Sharks? Uh, we also asked if someone knew the way to San Jose Sharks. Yeah, and this one was the uh, this one was the thing that sparked the idea for the swing round. Was <laughs> do you know the way to San Jose Sharks? Number eight, Will Smith offers a warm greeting to Santiago's rival in the Old Man in the Sea. We said, "Welcome to Miami Marlins." I had to embarrassingly ask if he was uh, his rival was a marlin or a dolphin, but we said, <laughs> "Welcome to Miami Marlins." Incidentally, he actually does catch dolphins in the book, uh, but the book is about him tracking down a large marlin. Yeah. It, is. it would be better if, if the villain was a dolphin. That's true. I, I will say I give Hemingway credit for having this whole book where he's looking for this marlin. He finally gets the marlin instead of like you know getting it and putting it on his trophy self. He just slaps it and puts it back in the ocean. <laughs> All right, number nine. A sitcom about a radio program that focuses on a big cat native to the Indian subcontinent. Couldn't, uh, we had a gut feeling on this one. I just, I could never remember the call sign of this show. I know what show it is, but we're just going to go with it. We said WKRP and Cincinnati Bengals. That's what we said Matt too. Matt's shaking his head. Because it's right. That's oh. what we said too. Yeah, it is. Uh, my beloved Cincinnati Bengals are playing right now. Uh, so I'll go catch that one in a little bit. Uh, what ha- my dad's what happened from with, Northern uh, Kentucky. What happened with Joe Burrow, by the way? He gets a haircut, gets multi-million dollars, and now he can't play anymore. What's going on? Well, his leg sucks right now, so it's uh, it's been pretty hard to throw. Hasn't looked very good. Also, no, Neil, no, they no, could have won the out. last four games, and then that comment will look really dumb on November 21st when this <laughs> episode is released. They'll no doubt be in the playoffs. It's it, It'll be okay. How are the Bears doing? <laughs> They won their first game. <laughs> they're fi- no, they're five and four as of this recording <laughs> on November 21st. What a run. All right. And number 10, a semi-autobiographical novel by Betty Smith about a plant sprouting from a basketball hoop. We said uh, a tree grows in Brooklyn Nets. Yep. That, that one took us the longest, but we got there. A tree grows in Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, pretty impressed you guys both got that one. That was the really hard one, almost as hard as me trying to pronounce the word semi-autobiographical, which <laughs> I finally got right. All right, both teams 10 for 10 in the swing round. It's good to see. Uh, that brings us up to 140 and uh, the opposing team up to 130. So tight game. All right. In round two, question one is in the category of world geography. In what country would you find Kumpupintal Lake, a 100-mile-long, dry, empty basin formerly known as Lake Disappointment? Now, that's a lake that I could vacation at. I think I have a lake house on that lake. Yeah. 
So Matt, I think I remember another podcast I listened to where the host took a trip to Australia, and I think I remember a whole riff about their lake house on this lake, and I think it's in Australia. Yeah, we've had a we had a episode where there was a bunch of really silly names, and most of them were from Australia. They they tend to be a little cheeky with their names, so I could see Lake Disappointment definitely being in Australia. So we can lock that in. All right, uh, we went with Mexico. Yeah, you would find Lake Disappointment in Australia, where they really shouldn't have expected to find water in the middle of the <laughs> desert. I think that's the headquarters of the North Melbourne Kangaroos, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry. Or lately, my Hawthorne Hawks. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> All right. Question number two in not world geography. Due to its mention of numerous travel locations around the globe, what 1988 mega-hit single by Enya has been likened to an itinerary for the most expensive gap year of all time. I hope you know this, Matt, because I have no idea. Um, the only Enya song I know is the one that would play on that compilation CD they tried to sell you at <laughs> two in the morning. Uh, <laughs> Real Moods or whatever it was, uh, which I believe is Ornico Flow. Um, and that's... that's uh, that's the only one I know. So you want to lock in with that one? I think that's all we can do. Okay. What is, a, is that the Sail Away song? No, I think it's a different one. Right, we're going to say Sail Away. All right. So this is one of the earliest pop songs I can remember ever hearing from like, I was like three years old when I first heard this. It's Orinoco Flow or Sail Away. Oh. Oh. Actually, and it actually is an official subtitle of the song. The same so song. I think uh, both teams get points on that one. Nice. Wow. What a poll on the name Ornico Flow. Wow. Thank you, Matt. I, it's such a weird name that it's always stuck with me. Because it it's, it's the first one that pops up on the commercial. I always just pop that song on when I uh, put the bag over Neil's head. And yeah, right. <laughs> plan to cut him open. When you try to suffocate yeah. me and stab me, yeah. yeah. That's a movie reference, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the, we're not doing it for real. <laughs> yeah, for, for I mean, Pete, we could. For Pete's family at Thanksgiving who's listening to this, he does not put a bag over my head. It's from the girl with the dragon tattoo. So. <laughs> All right. Question three in the category of really, really not world geography. Speaking of that song, Enya references the deep sea of clouds, or mare nubium in the Latin. Where would you find the Mare Nubium? All right. Uh, not too sure on this one, but uh, we're going to lock in. So my first thought was maybe like Jupiter, since it has all those swirly clouds. But then there's all the stuff on the moon that are called various mares and seas. So those are two thoughts I have. So either the moon or Jupiter. Yeah. And it says really, really not world geography. Yeah. Um, so uh, that would be a moon, I would think. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I like it. Let's lock in with moon. Great. Uh, well thought out. Um, I, I kind of like the Jupiter answer better. I uh, wish we had thought of it, but we didn't. Uh, we said from the mythology angle, we said Mount Olympus. Yep. Uh, it is It is the moon. Um mm. Uh, Mari Nubium world. is located on the moon. You might recall that we landed on the moon in the Sea of Tranquility. Hmm. Maggie is on fire today. Question number four in recent events. In January of 2023, Saturday Night Live's Bowen Yang appeared on Weekend Update and claimed that Madonna was calling him mid-interview, that he was descended from Rasputin, and that he was the original balloon boy. What public figure was he portraying? We can lock in. So I'm thinking it's that congressperson who was found to have lied about everything, but I don't remember his name. Um, that can be every congressperson. Well, true. Oh, no, they the... lied about literally oh. everything. <laughs> okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Um... He's from New York, and like everything on his resume was absolutely wrong. Oh, it sounds familiar, but I don't think I'm going to pull the name. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah, I I don't know. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. Uh, you knew more than I did because I had nothing on here. Um, but I can't wait to hear the answer from the other team. 
there was a string of actors playing this person on late night TV. John Lovitz did it for a late night show. Uh, Harvey Guillen from What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. Played him as well. Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a funny bit they did. We said it was George Santos. That's it. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, this was George Santos and uh, Bo and Yang doing that bit was uh, one of the funnier things I've seen recently. Uh, sorry, Matt. But so, okay. much, so much room for material there with him. All right, question five in astronomy. In 2018, the spacecraft OSIRIS-REx made its scheduled rendezvous with Bennu and collected a sample from its surface, which returned to Earth in September 2023. What kind of celestial body is Bennu? All right, we're going to go ahead and lock in. So my guess is it's either an asteroid or a comet. And I don't remember that there's been any comets recently. So Yeah, my, my first asteroid. thought was was asteroid. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's uh, five years. So it, it was probably pretty far out there. Um, so... That would, you know, I don't think it's a moon or anything like that. Right. So uh, I would I would definitely be okay locking in with asteroid. Nice. We were also between asteroid and the dog from Full House, and uh, we said asteroid as well. All right. Yes, Bennu is an asteroid. Right. Um, my dad was actually the tag lead on this mission, tag standing for T-A-G, uh, a touch and go. So he and his team planned out the exact method by which the spacecraft approached the surface of the asteroid, collected the sample, and bounced away. Cool. Uh, yeah, he worked worked with a, a contractor with NASA for many years, and this was his last uh, his last mission before he retired and rode into the sunset. So uh, that was a, a really cool thing to see the the uh, mission control when they announced that the sample was. Uh, when it was successfully collected, um, so that that's was, so yes. cool. Did uh, did someone drive down like a long desert highway from the military? They they went to his house and they're like, "We need you," and he's like, "One <laughs> last <did> ride, <laughs> <laughs> one last ride." Well, we are going to go on one last ride ourselves with the final five questions. But before that, we need a score update. It is one seventy to one seventy. You guys gained a little ground in that round, and uh, we're all tied up. Okay. Question six in history and technology. What 19th century English mathematician and noblewoman was honored by the internal name for NVIDIA's GPU software in its most recent series of graphics cards? All right. It appears that we are locked in. Is it the right time for Lovecraft? Isn't she the one who... I think it's always the right time for Lovecraft. <laughs> but... Isn't that the name of the woman who is a, like an early precursor of computing person? That that sounds great to me. Um, I don't collect these graphic cards. I was more of a Pokemon card collector. Um, so this 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 the, none of this question is for me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you that was your first instinct. So yeah. I think we're we're good locking in with Lovecraft. Um, it might be totally stupid, but that's that's what I think is the answer. I don't think. Well, yeah, we think you're close. I don't think oh. too much tentacle on your answer. But <laughs> if you're looking for a, a world-consuming monster, I think you're in the right uh, uh, aisle there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we locked in with Lovelace for Ada Lovelace. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft is uh, the other guy who wrote cosmic horror. Uh, but yeah, this is Ada Lovelace, the pioneering computer programmer, and in my opinion, one of the more unfairly overlooked figures in history. Kind of always knew if I hosted this show, I would mention Ada Lovelace. Yeah, what a what a fascinating uh, biography of Ada Lovelace and all that uh, she did. I feel like too, like Lovecraft, Lovelace and Lovecraft would be a great like duo TV that series. Would. They meet up and solve uh, crimes. She solves like the the computer technical crimes. He's solving supernatural, you know, gothic <laughs> horror crimes. All right, number seven, food and drink. What Dutch town obtained a marketing monopoly on a sweet, creamy yellow cheese, which was named after the town despite not being produced there? All right, uh, not 100% sure if it's a Dutch city, but I do know this is a city and a cheese, so we're going to lock it. All right, Dutch cheeses. 
we're probably not looking for a bad cheese or a mid cheese, probably a, a Gouda cheese, right? Yeah, I, I, there's Gouda and there's Edom, and somehow Edom sounds more like a town to me. But if you're, if, if you feel like it's Gouda, I'm fine with Gouda. I think Gouda might be. I know it's a yellow, gooey cheese. That's yeah. why. Um, that's that was why that was my first guess. Um, and I and I think that basically it became a catch-all phrase based off you know that term. Um, so I, I think I think I'm good lucky. I think Gouda is a a good answer here. That's fine. It's a Gouda answer. No, it's not. It's not using that pun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just did. it's too late. Uh, little Dutch boy, what's your favorite kind of cheese? Anything that is sweet, creamy, and fills my tummy with joy. Uh, would uh, Munster fit that category? Munster um, is my favorite cheese. <laughs> this is Gouda yeah. or Howda. Bullshit. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Dutch boy, please. <laughs> I'm going to receive 12 lashings. Sorry. Okay. Well, Dutch boy's out of control. Today. <laughs> it's been a while since he showed up. So He's been in captivity, I think. He just We just let him out of the dungeon. In solitary. <laughs> uh, once again, Pete's family. What the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> All right. Uh, question number eight in the category of hashtag winning. What term refers to the mathematical modeling of strategic interaction between predictable agents? It's very useful for economists studying semi-competitive markets, and it, land, it landed John Nash a Nobel Prize and a biopic. Thank you for that uh, last bit. We're going to lock in. So, Matt, is this game theory, or is there a better name for that? Uh, game theory is what I paid lots of thousands of dollars to learn in college as an econ major. Um, and I believe, I think that's the name of the movie even. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure game theory is correct. It's not the name of the movie. You're probably thinking of the imitation game mm. when they're, we're talking about a beautiful mind. Or the, John cr- Nash. the crying game theory. <laughs> or your game theory, which is which is the gamer 50 cent who's doing the right in their feud and that kind of thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, We said game theory as well. Yeah, so my dissertation in grad school was on oligopolies, and we made frequent use of game theory principles. Wow. All right. Uh, Question number nine, in measurements, what unit of distance, usually used at sea, refers to a depth of six feet? The answer may be difficult to believe. So they're locked in. Um, Oh, is it fathom? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that has to be it. At first, I was thinking something like knot or nautical mile or whatever, but if, yeah. with the mi- difficult to believe, I think it's fathom. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know the difference between a knot. Is it knot speed? I think so. Distance and speed. Yeah. Is it both? No, it's uh, not. It's not. <laughs> not. <laughs> and leagues is, is distance. Uh, fathoms, I believe, is depth. So we said fathom. Yep, it's fathom. Anything has to do with the sea, I feel like it just goes right over my head. That's too bad. You'd be drowning. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. All right, final question of round two. In classic literature, what Edmund Spencer epic poem was written in the 1580s and presented to Elizabeth I? Sarah J. Moss gets no credit for this one, sadly. So... I think it's the Fairy Queen, unless there's something else by Spencer that I'd never heard of. But that's my guess. But if you have a better guess, I'm happy to be talked out of it. Um, epic poem. All I could think of is Beowulf, and I'm 100% sure that Edmund Spencer did not write Beowulf. So <laughs> we can we can lock in with the Fairy Queen. And uh, we believe that... Uh... Elizabeth I was presented uh, with the poem, Baby Got Back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, the best way to get the answer is to just cut out the hints and say you know what Edmund Spencer wrote. It's the Fairy Queen. Uh, and the, nice. the hint there, though, was Sarah J. Moss is a contemporary author known for her young adult and sometimes very adult novels involving fairies. 
All right. Well, following uh, following that uh, round, looks like you guys have regained your lead by uh, you're in the lead by ten points. So, uh, Pineapple Express Assist with two hundred points, and uh, you guys with two ten. Nice job. It was back and forth the whole time. Great scores going into the final round for sure. And speaking of those scores, uh, we can wager zero to thirty on all the questions based on the categories. So, what are our categories, Pete? Well, the whole final round is themed around the Super Bowl, but only one of them is really going to be Super Bowl trivia. Here are your categories. The halftime show, numbers and titles, celebrity appearances, commercials, and sports. All right. Both teams have determined that their uh, correct answer rate has been pretty good. So we're all feeling confident and we're going 30s all in. So let's uh, get our questions and see if that was a smart bet. <laughs> okay. Question one in the halftime show. What two performers have each appeared twice in the last decade in Super Bowl halftime shows? If you can only name one, you neither gain nor lose your wagered points. Number two, numbers and titles. Which Super Bowl remains the only one not officially stylized with Roman numerals? Question number three, celebrity appearances. With three minutes, 10 seconds on the clock in Super Bowl 23, trailing Cincinnati, San Francisco quarterback Joe Montana noticed some nerves in the huddle. To lighten the mood, Montana famously pointed out in the stands which star of the film's Splash, Stripes, and Spaceballs. Question four, commercials. What trio made their debut in 1995 during Super Bowl XXIX in what Ad Week called one of the most iconic alcohol campaigns in advertising history? And question five, sports. In Super Bowl V, Known as the Blunder Bowl for the 11 total turnovers between the Colts and Cowboys, Dallas linebacker Chuck Howley became the first defensive player to be named the Super Bowl's most valuable player. What other dubious distinction does he still hold as a Super Bowl MVP? All right, that was a lot of words. Uh, let's see if we can come up with a lot of answers after this break. <laughs> Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. We have our answers all locked in. Uh, Pete, let's get the questions one more time, and we'll see who will be today's Cream of the Crop. All right. Question number one in the halftime show. What two performers have each appeared twice in the last decade in Super Bowl halftime shows. We we thought that this would be uh, Beyonce and Bruno Mars. So hopefully we get at least one. So hmm. Yeah, this is a it's tough because uh, I know that Justin Timberlake and Mary J. Blige also have done it, but their other ones were way earlier. Um, but I think it's Bruno Mars and Beyonce. Indeed, Bruno Mars and Beyonce. Beyonce headlined in 2013, Bruno Mars headlined in 2014, and each of them appeared with Coldplay in 2016. Powerhouse Coldplay. (laughs) Yeah. Number two in numbers and titles. Which Super Bowl remains the only one not officially stylized with Roman numerals? 
Uh, Neil informed me that he thought uh, the L would just look stupid for Super Bowl 50, so we said 50. That's exactly what we said, too. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be known for capturing a Super Bowl L, so they just allowed Super Bowl 50 to be stylized Super Bowl 5-0. Number three, celebrity appearances. With 3:10 on the clock in Super Bowl 23 and trailing Cincinnati, San Francisco quarterback Joe Montana noticed some nerves in the huddle. To lighten the mood, Montana famously pointed out in the stands which star of the film's Splash, Stripes, and Spaceballs. Yep, uh, we thought that uh, he saw Uncle Buck in the stands. We said John Candy. The uh, Midwest Polka King, we said John Candy. Yeah, his right tackle was getting really, really nervous, but everyone knew he was a fan of celebrities and uh, enjoyed seeing the stars. So in the huddle, Joe Montana famously took the huddle and said, hey, guys, look, it's John Candy. (laughs) And they drove the length of the field and won the game with a touchdown. The way you described that situation, it sounded like uh, Joe Montana just like tamed a couple unruly children. <laughs> Look, I, I've seen interviews of the story, and that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Like if you guys score a touchdown, I'll put on Coco Melon. I think the actual story was is Joe Montana said, "Hey guys, you want some candy?" But they said they heard John Candy. <laughs> he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. Yeah, he was on set. <laughs> All right, commercials. Question number four. What trio made their debut in 1995 during Super Bowl XXIX in what Adweek called one of the most iconic alcohol campaigns in advertising history? Uh, We said it was the Budweiser Frogs. That's who we said, too. Steve Young threw six touchdowns, but people only remember Bud, Wise, and Er. It's the Budweiser Frogs. Oh, that's right. They crushed the chargers right it was like 56 to 14 or something like that and question five in sports in super bowl five known as the blunder bowl for the 11 total turnovers between the colts and cowboys dallas linebacker chuck howley became the first defensive player to be named the super bowl's most valuable player what other dubious distinction does he still hold as a super bowl mvp this one we threw out so many possibilities and we just were not sure on any of them so we thought it would be pretty rare for a player to win mvp for playing so well but he left the game uh he couldn't finish the game because he was hurt or whatever got ejected so that's what we said uh it must be very exciting to win mvp but less exciting when the confetti is falling on the other team Uh, i believe he's the only mvp to play for the losing team yeah, he played for the losing team. I'm a huge, huge Super Bowl trivia buff. It's like my favorite specific area, and this is probably my favorite nugget of Super Bowl trivia. I just couldn't help myself. Uh, nearly everyone who did something right in that game also did something wrong, and so the MVP went to a linebacker who happened to play for the Cowboys who actually lost 16-13 to 13 on a last-second field goal. So the answer was he played for the losing team. What a fact. Yeah, and a great game from Pete here. Uh, We have our final scores tallied, and with an amazing score, Pineapple Expressorsis with 290. But uh, the team that could not be touched, uh, the write-in Manchurian candidates with 360, a whopping 360. You are today's cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. You only missed four questions the whole game. Congratulations (laughs) to you guys. Thank you. Good game. Good job, Matt. Oh, great job to you. I think it was a a full team effort. Um, I think that the MVP does go to Neil on a losing effort, though. On a losing (laughs) team. A dubious distinction. You you, you go out there and you want to do good and you try to do do good. I think Uh, we did pretty good today. I'm going to be like a 1980s Chris Collinsworth, and I'm going to take a picture of a future Aaron Rodgers and put it in my locker lovingly, and uh, one day I'll get to wax poetic about him. yeah, so uh, thank you so much, Maggie, for joining us today. It was so nice to to meet you and get a chance to play with you. You're such a good trivia player. What a what a great job today. Anyone you'd like to to shout out or or say hello to before we let you go? Oh, you know, I'd love to have like a really honorable thing, but honestly, this time of year right now, all I can say is go Phillies. Um, it's been a fantastic run so far in the in the postseason, and I hope when we're listening to this in November, it'll be as a World Series champions, or it'll just be sad. Go Schwarber. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, good luck to them. And uh, Pete, uh, what a great game. All the questions to so many different varieties of subjects and topics. And uh, you have a great voice for radio. It was so nice to meet you and have you here today. Any any shout-outs from you? 
Yeah, I just want to give a huge shout out to the playtesters on Discord. Uh, just like any creative endeavor, honestly, it's a collaborative effort. I wrote the questions, but there were edits, rewrites, clarifications, and big picture issues that other people pointed out. And uh, they made this show better by improving the quality of the quiz itself. Um, and also something that I just noticed while we were playing is just how incredibly rewarding it was to hear you guys reason these out and pick up on the clues in real time that I laid down. So that was a lot of fun on my end of just sitting in silence, watching this all play out. It was, uh, it was a great time. And thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Well, thank you for, for doing this. You're welcome back anytime to, to write a game for us. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, Ken, uh, I'm going to throw it to you because uh, we have a little thanks of our own to give out. That's right. Uh, as per usual, we like to thank Airwave Media, our network. You can find them at airwavemedia.com and check out other great shows such as The Conspirators, Redacted History, and our partners in trivia. Good job, Brain. Well, thank you, Ken. Thank you to Airwave Media. Thank you to Maggie and Pete and everyone else who helped make this game possible, whether you were a patron, a playtester, or just a listener, giving us some support. We appreciate it. For all of them, Matt, Jeff, and Ken, my name is Neil, and that was another episode of Triviality. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone who celebrates it. <laughs>